It is time for us to begin our midday program here on KRVN, a Friday edition of Midday, which uh, we've taken a survey and decided that's our favorite uh, one of those, so uh, that's what we're going with. It's going to be a warm one across our region today. Some of us uh, got a lot of rain in the eastern part, uh, especially in northeastern Colorado and, excuse me, western part, western Nebraska, so uh, my goodness, we're... We have a full house here today. Jason Jorgensen's here. Susan Littlefield's here. Bob Brogan is here. And we got lots to talk about, so we shall not tarry. Let's go ahead and uh, go to Susan. No Hi. surprise. Hi. No surprise. We're going to talk weather at twelve yeah. nineteen. Well, uh, we got to without touch or in. It's, yeah, that's, and it's what Friday. What you do? Yes. Exactly. I'm sure mm-hmm. we'll be talking about what we're going to see coming into the weekend. Some heat concerns that might be happening for some as well. Then at twelve forty-five, Shaylee will be kind of bringing us up to speed on some of the latest happenings with the Nebraska State Fair. As last week at this time, she was sitting at the State Fair board meeting. So mm-hmm. a lot more things to be discussed. Oh, yeah on all that's been happening with the Nebraska State Fair. And then it is our FNBOs Fridays in the field. We're going to head to the northeast part of the state with a recently fresh-shaven Chad Moyer. What? So if you've been watching Chad, you've been watching our videos for Fridays in the field, the beard is very short, and it made news. That's, uh, <laughs> you had to lose about 20 pounds. Easily, yeah, easily. So right. that's what's happening on the midday from us. All right, thanks, Susan. I appreciate yep. it. Let's turn it over to Jason, and uh, baseball got underway finally yesterday. Did uh, about a game and a half. Uh, Yankees and Nationals were rained out there in the sixth inning, yeah. and not much of a game last night between the Dodgers and the Giants. Uh, Royals will begin things tonight at Cleveland. Uh, the three exhibition games they played, their pitching wasn't very good, although they're down their top two starters, as uh, Brad Keller and Jacob Eunice uh, were uh, unable to go uh because they each tested positive with COVID, so they haven't been able to bounce back yet. So that means veteran Danny Duffy gets the start for the Royals, and we will hear from manager Mike Matheny about that. Colorado opens up their year at that brand-new ballpark in Texas. Mm. Uh, Global Life Field, it's called. Build it right in that whole complex, right next to where the old one was, right across the street from where the Cowboys play. Problem is, nobody will be able to be there. (laughs) But eventually, eventually, hopefully... They will be able to get there. Also, if you watch any of the games this weekend on Fox or Fox Sports 1, if it looks like there's fans there, they're not virtual fans. To me, this will probably look like a Star Wars movie, you know, with all the special effects from George Lucas and the whole gang. It's going to look like MLB The Show is what it's going to probably look like. Also, some sad news. Former Nebraska assistant coach John Blake passed away due to a heart attack last night at the age of 59. Of course, uh, he was the coach at Oklahoma. The Sooners struggled, but he recruited all the players that Bob Stoops used then to get things rolling for Sooner football about 25 years ago. Hmm. All right, that's too bad. All right, thank you very much. Let's quickly turn it over to Bob Brogan. Bob, what's going on? Wall Street is struggling today and trading as big technology stocks are continue to uh, fall back and as tensions ramp higher between the world's two largest economies, the U.S. and China. Tech stocks account for most of the slide, with Intel the heaviest weight. Sales of new homes, meanwhile, rose a sharp 13.8% in June. Details on those stories and more coming up. All right, that's all coming up on Midday. And good morning as we continue to take a look at the happenings of this market trade. We are going to get a commodity market update with Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Analytics. And I tell you, Mike, we've got a market that just can't decide which side of positive it wants to be on for these grains. 
No, and I think as we close out the week, it's really nice that we've got the dollar on our side because I hate to think what the market would have done in terms of volatility to the downside and trying to expose the support levels technically, Susan, if we had not had that continued weakness in the dollar and the fact that the gold itself also within about $20 of its all-time high back in 2011. So that's brought a lot of stability, as has the export sales again in beans and meal to the Philippines, which was nice to see since they and Vietnam are really coming on strong as major livestock feeders in Southeast Asia. So this is giving us support, but it's not enough to bring in and, and, and kind of undermines the confidence of new longs coming in because of the Chinese frictions with the United States and because of this cooler, wetter weather that everybody's talking about after the weekend. It has been nice to see this trend continue. What is this, the fifth day in a row we've seen some soybean purchases. So nice to see our exports kind of picking up a little bit. Yeah, and I was just checking the year-to-day comparison on the uh, FAS website from the USDA, and we are going to come in underneath last year on the 1920 soybean crop, it looks like, by most accounts with that marketing year getting ready to close out. But the 2021 is really setting a really good pace, and I think it's going to unfortunately encourage a lot of Brazilian uh, bean plantings uh, against maybe even corn at this stage of the game. Yeah, we can't forget about our neighbors to the south by any means and the influence that it'll have on our trade. Correct. Uh, Livestock side, we have cattle on feed report out this afternoon. Any thoughts as to how the market's setting up ahead of that? Well, I think the volume numbers are kind of telling the tale. The feeder volume is pretty decent, but we got really light volume in the fats and in the hogs. I think the cash market for the fats firming up with the five area steers breaking $97 was really kind of necessary. I would still like $100 before this big monthly cattle on feed report and even before the bigger semi-annual cattle inventory report, both of those coming out at 2 o'clock. But I think what we're seeing in this market is position squaring with the idea that maybe the feeders have had enough damage done to them and the fats are going to take their lead off of them and the hogs. And speaking of hogs, they've had a little bit of a struggle as well today, but not as bad as what it was earlier in the day. No, and you look at the weekly basis for the hogs, and they're holding in there pretty nicely. So you can't complain too much about the hogs, especially given they're not being featured very heavily this week. So that'll be an interesting retail activity report as we get that from USDA later today. Well, I'm interested to see what we get any sort of demand and consumer confidence information coming from movement of meat across the counter. I think the market is probably on pause with that, Susan, and because of these unemployment numbers starting to ratchet up again and unemployment uh, uh, benefits starting to end here in the not-too-distant future, in fact, next week, if they don't get extended by Congress. So looking at that, Mike, what are you seeing as some concerns that might have some economic effects on our livestock trade? Well, it keeps me on the hunt to really hedge cattle and hedge beans because those are the consumer-oriented and equity market-oriented commodities right now, and that's how the funds have kind of played it. All right, sounds good. Thanks so much, Mike. Have a great weekend. You too, Susan. Thanks for having me. No problem. Mike Zuzalo has been joining us today. Mike is with Global Commodity Analytics for the midday market commentary. Of course, you can receive a two-week free trial of Mike's newsletter when you mention the Rural Radio Network at globalanalytics.biz. And as with any of our commodity brokers, just a reminder that trading futures involves risk of loss and may not be suitable for all investors. Again, that's been Mike Zuzalo. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. I'm 44. Time for us to take a look at our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. Paul Perkins in here to talk about a hot and wet forecast. But first, 
you have something for us. Yes, a very significant weather item happened on this day in Nebraska history. Okay. It was the day we recorded the hottest ever temperature in Nebraska. Oh. It hit 118 on this date, 1936 in Minden. 118. Uh, th- whoa. Actual air temperature. Not the heat index, but the actual air temperature. In, in what, what year again? In 1936. Oh, so yeah, it goes of to course. figure into the Dust Bowl. But yeah, in Minden uh, on this date, 118. The hottest temperature ever recorded in the state of Nebraska. That's just <laughs> awful. Yikes. And for many other cities, it was actually sure. the hottest day ever for them, too. A lot of other towns were, you know, 110 to 115 degrees that day. So pretty much the hottest day in Nebraska history for, in that day. You know, it says so much about the people that live here that there was anybody left <laughs> after the 1930s. Yeah, it was exactly. just, it was rough. So I'll be darn well. It's going to be a little rough out there in some places today. Exactly. Already off to a steamy start. Uh, temperatures right now in the mid to upper 80s. Uh, a lot of rain falling over the tri-state area last night of southwest Nebraska, northwest Kansas. We've had reports of up to 12 inches of rain uh, near the St. Francis, Kansas area, northwest Kansas. Ray, Colorado with three and a half to five and a quarter inches of rain. Another rainfall report from right near Ray, Colorado, southwest of town had 4.6 inches of rain. Hagler in southwest Nebraska, nine and a quarter inches of rain. It's from a system that just parked just itself didn't move, and yeah. didn't move. There was some flooding also towards St. Francis and also towards Goodland earlier this morning. Those flood advisories have expired. Parks in southwest Nebraska, seven and a half to nine and a half inches of rain with this system. Uh, we did have a report of Avenue 328 east of Parks closed due to four feet of water over the road, and water was covering nearby fence posts. Oh, my goodness. And also a report of the East Brown Amtrak train between Parks and Hagler stranded due to washed-out railroad tracks there. That's just crazy. That's a lot of water. It's got to go somewhere. You know? Exactly. So but right now, that what's left of that system is now into north-central Nebraska. It's slowly moving out of the area, but still holding together. Still some light rain with that system from about north of Ainsworth to the O'Neill area. And also still some clouds with this system from around Ainsworth to Norfolk and Columbus, back to Broken Bow, Lexington, and Kearney, and points to the north of the interstate. Otherwise, a lot of sunshine taking hold across the area. A little bit of shower and thunderstorm activities starting to make its way into the northwest Nebraska panhandle. But for today and tomorrow, mainly sunny and humid conditions with building heat as a tropical ridge of high pressure expands across the plains. Heat index readings today expected to be up near 100 and up to 105 tomorrow. Right now we have actual air temperatures in the mid to upper 80s. Dew points currently in the low to mid 70s or mainly the low 70s for us as high as 77 on that dew point in York. And anytime it gets above 65 on the dew point, that's when it starts to feel that humidity. So they're really feeling it in the York and eastern portions of Nebraska. And already some feels like raining or heat index, heat index rainings into the mid-90s to around 100 across much of eastern Nebraska. Most of us with feels like rainings in the upper 80s to low 90s right now. South winds today. All the way through tomorrow, we'll be breezy just ahead of a trough of low pressure extending from western Nebraska into eastern Colorado. And a few thunderstorms may fire right near that trough full of pressure. With some of the storm leftovers tracking into central areas, some of these storms could be severe with this system. Right now, the Storm Prediction Center with a slight risk of severe storms if you're along in north and west of a line from O'Neill to Broken Bow, North Platte, and Ogallala, and that still is holding true. Now, thunderstorm chances increase to likely for Sunday through Sunday night with the cold front. 
The outlook from the Storm Prediction Center for Sunday currently indicating a low-end marginal risk of severe weather. Smaller chances of off-and-on thunderstorms will continue from Monday through Thursday with some weaker disturbances. Temperatures with the cold front will cool to seasonal on Sunday and then slightly below normal for early next week. Now, there does not appear to be any major warming trend in our long-term forecast. Nebraska and Kansas temperatures likely to be mostly seasonal to slightly warmer than average for Wednesday through the first six days of next month. The overall rainfall trend looks to be mostly near normal Wednesday through August 6th for Nebraska and Kansas. Weather factors impacting markets include promising rain chances for the Midwest during the last week of the month and dry weather in wheat areas of eastern Russia. The interaction between the southwest monsoon flow of moisture and a cold front could result in one to three inch rain totals from the four corners into the upper Midwest. This weekend, Midwest crop areas will be hot and humid. A high chance of widespread rain along with more seasonal temperatures next week will benefit all the crops. Northern areas of the Southern Plains expect periods of rain through the weekend and then farther south into early next week. Tropical Storm Hannah expected to bypass most of the Southern Plains with heavy rain expected over far southern Texas and into Mexico. The Northern Plains will see some scattered rain continue through the weekend. A reduction in rain next week may actually benefit the spring wheat crop. In the Black Sea region through Central Asia, the Volga Valley of Russia eastward will be dry through the next week. Stress to corn in the reproduction stage, along with some damage, is likely. In western Russia and Ukraine, conditions much better with more plentiful rain. That rain will continue to be more limited through the middle of next week with better chances in Ukraine and northwest Russia. Okay, well, uh, it's uh, going to be warm for at least a couple days, and hopefully now now we talked a little bit, it's all about kind of the timing on Sunday when we start to see the cooling come in. Exactly. It looks like that cold front will be moving through probably during the daytime, so that's why that severe risk is going to be pretty limited and just a marginal risk of severe storms. Now, if it would start to slow up and then mm-hmm. move through many of much of our area during the peaking of the day and then that severe risk will pick up but right now it looks like a return to more seasonable weather is expected on sunday and along with some pretty good rain chances okay all right very good well thank you paul i appreciate it where do you go to check in on your weather weather tab krvn.com Good afternoon. As we take a look at the market trade, I'm Susan Littlefield on the World Radio Network. Corn trade has been narrowly mixed as traders looking for a spark for further buying after the midweek bounce. Forecast is expected to remain a non-issue on the short term. Soybean trade has been lower today. The trade with sales again hitting the daily wire with another 252,000 metric tons of unknown. 133,000 of meal to the Philippines with buying restrained ahead of the weekend. As the wheat trade has seen their higher numbers, a choppy trade that continued as the dollar works lower and trade tries to consolidate in the range. Right now, September corn, it's down to 326. December down three quarters at 334 and three quarters. September soybeans dropped three at 897 and three quarters, while November 898 down two. Kansas City wheat, September six and a half higher, 447 and three quarters. December up six and a quarter, 448. 458 and a half. Chicago September eight and a quarter higher at 537 and three quarters. The bids for December 543 and a half up eight and three quarters. Minneapolis September's up four 514. December's up four at 527 and a half.
On to the livestock side with initial gains moving in the cattle market as traders position themselves after the pressure of yesterday. And given the current market moves and focus on this afternoon's reports, as lean hog futures are seeing the downtrend today, giving back the gains that we saw in yesterday's numbers. Now there is a continued talk of record hog slaughter and pork production in the U.S., a factor for the pressure. August live cattle up 25, 101.10. October's up 55, 105.15. August feeders up 27, 142.30. The bid for September down a nickel now at 143.12. Into the August lean hog market, it's dropped 72 at 53.75. October's bid down 75 at 50.27. That's your markets. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Here's Cole Baker from Ashton, Nebraska. The first year we did see good benefits in conversion rates. After that, we started planting more of it every year or 100% engine feed. But we went from seven to eight dry matter conversion rates down to fives. We didn't give up much dry matter intake. Feed efficiency was better. And therefore the cost of the game was lower. I talked to my nutritionist about switching to Enogen. They're a believer in it. I think it makes their job easier because we've got better feed efficiency with this. And we've got competitive conversion rates after switching. We inched up half and half Enogen. Last year we were about 70-30 Enogen. This year we're 100% Enogen. The cost of the seed is definitely competitive. It yields right up there with the big dogs. The data's behind it. It's a good product. Talk to your Golden Harvest Seed Advisor or NK Retailer about Anagen Feed Corn. Bill has stalled in talks. I'm Shaley Peters joining you now on the Rural Radio Network. Let's get a quick midday look at that ag news for this Friday. Senate Agriculture Committee Chairman John Hoven from North Dakota and Senator Mike Rounds of South Dakota both told the Hags Room Report the Senate Republican coronavirus aid package now in development contains $20 billion in additional aid for farmers. While the text of the legislation is not final yet, as it stands now, there is $20 billion in direct appropriations for agriculture assistance to go along with the $14 billion in CCC authority that became available earlier this month under the CARES Act, Hoven said in an email. Separately, Rounds said he had gotten a piece of paper from Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell of Kentucky stating there would be a $20 billion there would be $20 billion for agriculture aid. The list of aid details was shared widely on Thursday. USDA currently has been spending as much as $16.5 billion on the coronavirus food assistance program, but USDA does have $14 billion in the CCC that became available for the department to use at the beginning of July. Several agricultural industries have been lobbying Congress for more direct aid, including pork producers who want indemnity for euthanizing animals and the ethanol industry which has been shut out of direct aid. Negotiations on legislation stalled in the Senate over several issues, including how to address unemployment benefits as the $600 weekly checks from the federal government are expiring at the end of July. Republican senators also rejected a demand from President Donald Trump for a payroll tax cut. Senators are opting instead to send another round of checks directly to taxpayers. Negotiations appear set to extend more provisions to small businesses through the Paycheck Protection Program loans as well.
And the U.S. Wheat Associates Board of Directors chose new officers during their virtual annual meeting July 17th. The new officers for 2020-2021 are Chairman Darren Paget of Oregon, Vice Chair Rhonda Larson of Minnesota, Secretary Treasurer Michael Peters of Oklahoma, and past Chairman Doug Goins of Ohio. USW officers were elected to those one-year positions during the Board of Directors meeting last January. The new USW chair is a fourth-generation farmer from Oregon with dryland wheat and summer fallow rotation currently producing registered and certified seed on 3,400 acres every year. And it's Friday, which means we are back this week with Fridays in the Field as we visit with Chad Moyers Growers. For this week's Fridays in the Field, we travel back to Dodge County and visit with Nikki Manuel near North Bend. Six weeks ago, a major windstorm blew through and pushed over several pivots in the area, but Emanuel says the crops did recover nicely. He says disease pressure is minimal and insect pressure is light as well. Early uh, mid-June, the Japanese beetle started to show up pretty heavily, but it does not seem to be bothering the soybeans and the corn uh, very heavily at all yet, so we're pretty fortunate there. Um, just yesterday, our crop scout did identify some gall midge in one of our fields. Very specific case, uh, lo- location-wise and field-wise, hadn't spread too bad, but uh, did identify some there as well as a neighbor's field. So it is something to be looking out for. Emmanuel says the focus now is applying a preventative fungicide treatment and keeping the irrigation running. Hopefully, he says, Mother Nature can help with a few rains as well. On the Rural Radio Network, Chad Moyer reporting. And as always, you can keep up with all of our Fridays in the Field coverage as we follow our growers from across Nebraska all along the growing season at RuralRadio.com. Also find videos on Facebook and Twitter. That is a quick midday look at Rag News for this Friday. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. It's time again this week that we catch up with our Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist, Al Dutcher. I'm Shaylee Peters, joining you back here on the Rural Radio Network. And Al, as we look over this past week, some areas of the state seeing some significant rain events. Also, the heat really starting to set in. Will we continue to see some of that as we head into this weekend and next week? Well, Shaley, it looks like the pattern repeats itself over and over and over again. We come into the weekends with high pressure building into the central southern plains we heat back up we get the upper air low moving across the northern plains cool things back down and then we repeat the process all over again that's exactly what the models are indicating we're going to go through a couple days of heat here a lot of humidity we've already seen some heavy precipitation events off and on across the state during this week the most recent of course down in the southwest corner with the heavy precipitation not a lot of flow with these systems right now so they kind of stagnate sit over the same place and dump out their precipitation when the systems do come through, we deal with the severe weather, and I think that's what's going to be failing here for the next couple of days is the chance for some pretty significant severe weather. The first would be over the overnight hours as this warm air lifts toward the north and that low privets across the northern plains. We likely see thunderstorm development across the Dakotas, and that may trail back all the way into north central uh, into northwestern Nebraska. I don't think much of that's going to make its way toward eastern Nebraska. Most of that should lift up into the Dakotas. But more importantly, that builds the heat even further into the eastern part of the state as we go into tomorrow. That'll probably be our worst day of the week. Very humid conditions, high dew points. We should have some good uh, wind movement, so that may offset things somewhat. And then we start to see the cold front trying to come through the state uh, as the low pivots over toward the Great Lakes region. That brings the cold front through on Sunday. 
and it really becomes a matter of time. And wherever that cold front lies up there in the prime teen of the day is where we'll see the biggest thunderstorm development. So more importantly, right now, the quantitative precipitation outlook keeps the southeastern one half of the state in the area of most likely to see a significant moisture. So we'll have to watch those areas that received big precipitation over the last 24 hours to see if we get renewed rainfall over top of those saturated grounds and the flooded areas. But more importantly, that brings in cooler air on Sunday and really starts to kick in as we get into Monday and Tuesday across the eastern half of the state. going to be well below normal in terms of temperatures, probably looking at the lower to mid-80s. Whereas western Nebraska will be upper upper 80s, potentially low 90s, and warming up as the uh, week progresses. As that trough pivots toward the east, we start to see the ridge building back from the south up through the central Rockies and northern Rockies. So that keeps the eastern one-third or western one-third of the state in the drier air. And we'll see temperatures rebound back into the 90s, whereas we may at the 90s in eastern Nebraska until we get into late next week. More importantly, as that low slowly moves toward the Great Lakes, there's going to be energy pivoting around it. And so that north-northwest uh, flow coming toward the southeast around the backside, it's eastern Nebraska. Several rounds of precipitation are anticipated the potential for very significant moisture accumulations. Now, wherever that area sets up is where the biggest chances for precipitation. So right now, that's where the models are indicating is eastern Nebraska could pivot a little farther to the east or a little farther to the west. We'll have to keep an eye on it. But certainly for the western part of the state, it doesn't look like much in the way of significant moisture. And then we see the heat build as we get the first weekend of uh, August. And how long that lasts is really dependent on if you believe the GFS model, whether the ridge breaks down or not. And based on past experience, I would expect that we'll see some break from this ridging pattern in early August and return to some cooler conditions in the first full weekend or past the first full weekend of August. All right. Thanks so much. It's Al Dutcher, Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Time for us to check in on sports here at 1224. Jason Jorgensen in here. And, uh, well, doggone it, Jason. Got some bad news. Uh, The East-West Nebraska All-Star football game planned for tonight in Scotts Bluff, which we were going to carry here on this very radio station, has been canceled due to a player testing positive for COVID-19. So uh, he was on the E-Squad. He and his teammates and coaches now will have to be quarantined. The good news is a volleyball game will take place. They'll play that this afternoon at the Cougar Palace. But no football game, and get used to this, folks. Yeah. This, unfortunately, could be the, the new normal. It really could. And, and, and you know what? <clears throat> You're looking at just one. But then it affects everybody that played, all the coaching staffs. Uh, we're going to have to do a look at a quarantine. And, and how can you tell who's been exposed in a football camp sort of setting? I you mean, can't. It could, you can't. Tough, tough. That's 2020. Yeah. Nebraska quarterback Adrian Martinez has earned preseason recognition. He was named to the Maxwell Award watch list. Of course, that award's been presented to the College Player of the Year since 1937. Keep in mind, he was on this award watch list last year and then had the big sophomore slump. Also, Kansas State senior quarterback Skylar Thompson. He's a real nice player. He also is up for this award as well. John Blake, the former Oklahoma football player and head coach, died yesterday of a heart attack. He was 59. He was hired as a Sooners head coach in December of 1995. He only won 12 games in three years as a head coach, but he had collected all the groceries. Then Bob Stoops came in and you know cooked things up in the kitchen for the Sooners. People forget that. 
Blake then spent three years as a defensive line coach at Nebraska under head coach Bill Callahan, and he signed Nebraska, helped sign Nebraska's top-rated class. Remember that in 2005? Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, former Husker Fabian Washington tweeted today, Blake could talk a cat off a fish truck, <laughs> which is, <laughs> which is true. So He's a wonderful recruiter, for yeah, sure. Yeah, I've gotten in trouble, too, with the NCAA at some other stops, yeah. but uh, he knew what he was good at. Mm-hmm. Viewers who watch any of four Major League Baseball games broadcast over Fox and Fox Sports 1 this weekend may not notice real fans, but there will be virtual fans there. Fox Corporation intends to fill the seats at Wrigley Field, Dodger Stadium, Nationals Park, and Petco Park with hundreds of virtual attendees. I'm not sure what that will look like. Probably looks better in empty seats, yeah, I guess. Probably look like a video game. Yeah, it will. it will. And the rest of Major League Baseball starts today. The Royals begin the year at Cleveland with a 6-10 start. Now, they went 0-3 in their exhibition games, and the pitching stra- staff really struggled. And Manager Mike Matheny says that's a concern. Keep coming back to, to where we were from the pitching perspective and um, how often we were in counts that just put them on the aggressive. And um, you know, we, we've got to fix that. With their top two starters, Brad Keller and Jacob Junis, out with COVID, veteran Danny Duffy gets the start for the Royals tonight. I bet he's able to go four innings with a hundred pitches. <laughs> if they let him go, that that would be a Danny Duffy yeah that's, like start. That work, but oh boy, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. You know the Giants and Dodgers. You know at one point I turn out it's one to one. It's pretty yeah. competitive. That Dodgers lineup is yeah. ridiculous. They're stacked. Ugh. Colorado starts their year at the fancy new ballpark in Texas. Not that anybody will be there. That's sports. For more, find it anytime at krvn.com. Time for us to take a look at news. Ellen Laird in here. Good morning. Good afternoon. Sorry. Good afternoon. Just went through that office. See where... (laughs) See where the uh, governor uh, went to the state capitol today. Did he offer everybody a pie? Possibly. Uh, I don't know. Village pie? Okay. Probably not. Probably go ahead. (laughs) Go ahead. All right. Governor Pete Ricketts says the state is continuing to make strides in attempting to make Nebraska veterans friendly during a news conference Thursday at the state capitol. Governor Ricketts and Nebraska Department of Veterans Affairs Director John Hilgert unveiled three new initiatives to better serve veterans. Hilgert says. One is the development of a new welcome home packet for veterans returning to the state after discharge from the armed forces. This welcome home packet to a discharged veteran uh, that has Nebraska as her or his home of record uh, will certainly indicate the amount of support that the people of Nebraska have that they show for their veterans. It'll be a big welcome home, and we'll encourage all of them uh, to return to Nebraska after their service. Hilgert also announced improvements to the agency's website to help veterans more easily find information and navigate through the benefits available to them. Veterans can also chat with an accredited state service officer to receive real-time assistance online. Hilgert says NDVA has been informed of its eligibility for a federal grant to help fund the design and construction of an expansion at the Eastern Nebraska Veterans Home in Bellevue. You can find more information at veterans.nebraska.gov. Governor Pete Ricketts has touted Nebraska's pandemic response and rosier-than-expected revenue 
outlook in his address to the legislature. He also pushed for lawmakers to adopt his signature property tax relief and tax incentives packages within the remaining 13 days of the session. The Republican governor on Friday made a rare second address within the same session, which was suspended in March over fears of spreading the coronavirus. The session resumed Monday. The governor's address came a day after the Nebraska Economic Forecasting Advisory Board predicted that while the state's tax revenue will likely dip below earlier projections, the budget picture won't be as bad as previously expected. Each year, the Elwood Area Foundation hosts the Elwood Spring Gala, and due to the coronavirus pandemic, plans change for the ninth annual event. This year, the EAF will be hosting a virtual gala with an online auction. Foundation Executive Director Melissa Vinzant says all proceeds go back into the community of Elwood. In the past, grant funds have gone to support the volunteer fire department. We've given money to Johnson Lake Trails, food pantry, upgrades at the park. We've given money to the care center and um, youth grants. We've done a lot of youth-focused projects. Um, we help out 4-H group, youth internships. We have a youth leadership class, just a, a variety of things to help out in the community. Last year's Spring Gala raised $40,000. To find a link to the online auction, go to elwoodfoundation.org and go to the gala tab. Bidding begins 10 a.m. on Sunday, July 26th, and closes at 10 p.m. Friday, July 31st. Well, kind of the new way of doing things. It is, unfortunately. unfortunately. Yeah, that's that's too bad. Of course, uh, just a few moments ago, you probably heard the Jason Jorgensen talk about the fact that the uh, Western, Western All-Star football game mm-hmm. was canceled. So, yeah, that's too bad. It's too bad. But, new normal. Yep, sure is. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Ellen. I appreciate it. For the 2020 Nebraska State Fair continues and changes continue to be made as new and different ideas are discussed. I'm Shaley Peters back with you on the Rural Radio Network and the Nebraska State Fair at their most recent board meeting discussed different areas in which the State Fair could continue. Things will certainly look different and that's something the new executive director Bill Ogg pointed out as he talked about some of the events they plan on having. Our entertainment component of the fair is dramatically reduced. And I think we understand and, and have to accept that for 2020 um, from various reasons. But we will still have some quality entertainment, most of it provided, I say most, the entertainment will be provided at no charge to the fair from folks that are, again, while we have people that are hungry to show their livestock and exhibit their wares, we have talent out there that are hungry to play for an audience. And again, they're going to come. Yes, we've got to provide, uh, provide some sound and stage and, you know, some amenities like that. But they're going to play their hearts out ever as professionally as they ever did. And uh, it, the fair will be free to the public, uh, again, for multiple reasons. But certainly I think the foremost one is to try to give back to the people of the area and of the state uh, and not impact them further for the sacrifices that they've made this summer. That being said, it's also very expensive to monitor those gates and uh, with all the circumstances, a free gate is appropriate. That doesn't mean that it will be unsafe. Either 
you know, uh, from a health standpoint or from a security standpoint. We will be monitoring the gates. We will have, again, talking with partners, the Nebraska State Patrol, Grand Island Police Department, all county sheriff's department, all will be here uh, in whatever capacity they can to help us. Uh, again, pretty exciting to have uh, that kind of support and, and participation. So um, the fair will be open, but it will be monitored. And it will be safe in, in all ways of, of measuring that. So um, we're, we are, again, there's so many balls in the air right now. We know we're going to have a 4-H and FFA show. Um, these other shows that, that Greg alluded to, again, very candidly, are entry dependent and health requirement dependent. And while we truly, truly want them, we don't want to mislead, I guess, anybody and say that that's a, a guaranteed thing that's going to be happening at the fair this year. Again, just want to be as totally uh, bluntly accurate as we can be. While 4-H and FFA exhibits will be the main focus of this year's fair, livestock exhibits in particular, Kathleen Lodel, who speaks on behalf of the 4-H side for the board, talked about what static exhibits will look like this year. What we're actually doing is we will be having a showcase of static exhibits county by county. So there will actually be real static exhibits in the exposition building. Each county will have a display we're working hard to make sure that we're getting those in there, um, taking into account social distancing measures. So that'll be happening over a period of time. They'll stay there throughout the 10 days of the fair. For those exhibits that are too big or that we can't get to the fair, those will be on display virtually. So there'll still be a county display by each county. But in addition, if there's other exhibits, those will be uploaded onto a website and people can view those and there won't be any cost to that at all. That's just something we're doing on our end and, and counties and families will be uploading those pictures. The other piece around that is we will not be having premiums for static exhibits this year. So we won't be doing judging of those. I think we might've talked about that before, but there'll be a display only, it won't be rejudged. So that's saving some money and there won't be premiums for those static exhibits too to, to keep the budget balanced. Lodo also addressed that they think they will see increased numbers as far as livestock is concerned this year. We anticipate our numbers are going to be quite strong, actually. There's a few of our fairs that are a little low. That, of course, it, you know, it varies day by day depending on the phase that we're in. But for a lot of our shows, we're actually having pretty good attendance and pretty good participation. Now, you never know what that's going to look like, so I hate to be overly optimistic, but right now, families are wanting to show they certainly value the opportunity at the Nebraska State Fair, so I think we're going to look strong. One other big event that was discussed but not decided on to this point was a tractor pull. Also, the State Fair will not be having their grand marshals this year or a carnival. I'm Shaylee Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. <laughs> Thank you.
Chad Moyer with you here on the Rural Radio Network, and it is time for another Fridays in the Field segment brought to you by FNBO, the great big small bank. And we are back in North Bend, Nebraska. We're visiting with Nick Emanuel. Last time that we talked about six weeks ago, we were right on the heels of a storm that had gone through the North Bend area. Have the crops recovered? How are things doing since then? Yeah, so right at that time we had some significant wind damage and pivots blown over, but uh, fortunately enough all the crops came through. No damage or any other after effects from those storms and things are looking really good right now. All right, so let's get the update. Uh, as we stand here in the uh, third week in July, how are the crops looking? So for the most part, crops are looking really good. We're right in a pocket that isn't receiving too much rain. We just had about 7,500s on Monday, but that's the first rain we've had in a while. The soil moisture levels are pretty dry, so we had been irrigating pretty heavily up until the rain on, on Monday or Tuesday there. Corn's right. Uh, started tasseling about a week and a half ago. For the most part, all, all the fields are tasseled in this area and moving into that R1, R2 phase. Soybeans are anywhere from R1 to R3 and even pushing R4 in, in some phases. So most part, crops are looking really good. Even for the drier conditions we've had, dry land is hanging on and, and looks really good. That three quarters of an inch to an inch and a half in different areas uh, really help that dry land. And if we could catch another inch or two in the next week or so, that's really going to help the dry land farm also. Yeah. Are we on schedule, ahead, behind? How, do, how are things comparing to years past? I'd say we're probably right about average. Um, if you look at the 10-year the averages for GDD, uh, growing degree days, um, there isn't much difference. I think we're plus or minus 10% on most fields uh, in that situation. So on average, I think we're right there. And that was a kind of a quick catch-up, too, because last time we talked, crops, even though we got exceptional planting conditions, they got a kind of a slower start, followed by some cool conditions. So right now, the, the heat in the last few weeks uh, in June there really, really accelerated the crop, and it was able to catch up. Let's talk about uh, bugs first of all. As you're out and about walking the fields, corn or beans, I'm seeing any insect pressure right now? Fortunately, uh, pretty minimal right now. Disease and insect is not bad. Um, most people are applying fungicide pretty heavily right now, more preventive than curative right now. So you'll see a lot of fungicide planes uh, flying on both corn and soybeans. But we've been fortunate enough, you know, early, uh, mid-June, the Japanese beetle started to show up pretty heavily, but it does not seem to be bothering the soybeans and the corn very heavily at all yet. So we're pretty fortunate there. Just yesterday, our crop scout did identify some gall midge in one of our fields. Very specific case, uh, location-wise and field-wise. Hadn't spread too bad, but uh, did identify some there as well as a neighbor's field. So it is something to be looking out for. Yeah. And on just an aside on the soybean gall midge, that is new for this area, I understand, huh? Yes, uh, fairly new. I haven't seen many reported cases for Dodge County. There was some down in southeastern Nebraska here about a month ago, but um, definitely something to be aware of and be looking out for in the rest of eastern Nebraska. What is the priority from here on out now? Uh, since the crops are, you know, kind of at average, like you said, they're doing well. What do you think it's going to take to get the crops in this area all the way to full yield? Uh, water will be the big thing. Irrigating heavily, like I said, that three quarters of an inch we had, that will only hold us till the end of the week. Plan is to start the pivots again uh, Friday, especially with the heat that's coming through and depending on what the forecast does it'll be probably hot and heavy irrigating here to really push those yields to the potential again we've been visiting with nick emmanuel from north bend nebraska he is our fridays in the field farmer here in dodge county and fridays in the field brought to you by fnbo the great big small bank here on the rural radio network chad moyer reporting <laughs> 
Good afternoon as we take a look at the happenings on our grain complex. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Due to some phone technical difficulties, we've not been able to get through to John Payne. He's a senior marketing analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. So let's run down to what we saw in the market trade today. The corn market has seen kind of a narrowly mixed type of feel to the trade as they spark from further buying after the midweek bounce. The forecast is expected to remain a non-issue short term. Ethanol margins remain soft with concerns about forward demand, but some tighter stocks will add support coming forward, along with gasoline demand stabilizing and bouncing a little. On the September contract, they do talk about trade continue to have some resistance at the gap level from a week ago. That at 336 with some lower Bollinger Bands at 315 considered to be a supportive factor. We look at the soybean, a streak of nine days straight of export sales. That was noticed by the USDA for grain exports as starting to lose its luster amongst grain traders who no longer seem excited even as the USDA continues to confirm that the U.S. soybean exports are being purchased. Now the trade may be getting too comfortable as one said with a daily 24-hour reporting system and our opinion that according to Terry Riley's of Futures International the USDA did confirm this morning that there was 252,000 metric tons of soybeans that were sold to an unknown destination, but yet the most active soybean contract in the CBOT was down 0.1% today. Soy oil also saw some downward trend as the Malaysian palm oil futures trended higher that seen last night. For what we're seeing on the wheat side, the trade there has been higher throughout today's trading session as a choppy trade continued as the dollar works lower and trade tries to consolidate in their range. Now the ruble remains in the recent range versus the dollar, though the Black Sea region origin is still winning tenders with the dollar needing to kind of fall more before we see any major excitement for U.S. bookings headed east. Now looking at what we're seeing in the range of continually estimates revised lower this week for Medef, Kansas City was at an area of 89 cent discount to the Chicago with spreads starting to stabilize. So how did the numbers finish out? September corn on this Friday, 326 and a quarter, one and three quarters to the lower. December down a half at 335. The September soybeans down to trading at 898 and three quarters. November down three quarters, 899 and a quarter. Kansas City has a September contract settling up eight and a quarter, 449 and a half. December 460 and a half up eight and a quarter. Chicago September up at 10 on the day, 539 and a half. And December 545 and a quarter up 10 and a half. Into the Minneapolis market for September 5 to the plus at 5.15, December up four and three quarters at 5.28 and a quarter. Again, we apologize for not having him with us on the air. That's your markets on the Rural Radio Network. And that'll do it for our midday program today on KRVN. To hear today's midday program in its entirety, go to podcast on krvn.com. Brought to you by Divinity Motors.